This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. All right, well, we are going to start part two of our series on Does God Love the Transgender or Does God Love the Homosexual? You you know, I, I started this because I wanted to talk about how God loves all men. He loves all creation. That's the agape love. And agape love is uh, not the love of friendship, but the love of intelligent comprehension, united with corresponding purpose. Agape love seeks the highest good for its object and treats people better than they deserve. Then there is phileo love. That's different. That's a family relationship like you, you would love your children. And I, I can't say this for certain at this point in my studies, but I believe it to be true that God phileos his family in the church, but not those outside the church. He wants to. He wants to have that family relationship. That's why he sent his son, Right? For God so loved the world, that's that agape love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, treating them better than they deserve. So we are going to get into that, but uh, I've had a lot of comments on the the previous episode. I was giving this um, article that was written by Matthew Tingbald, and um, let let me read you the first part of this, and then we're going to kind of dive into some of the things that are going on here. I didn't know this. I mean, I knew there was some of this stuff, but apparently it's taking traction of redefining what the Bible says about homosexuality. Uh, Let me read you the first couple of paragraphs, and then I'll get into a few things about this. This is a an article written by Matthew Tingbald. Has homosexual always been in the Bible? He writes, some time ago, I got an email from someone asking about an interview with Ed Oxford, published as a blog post on Forge titled, Has Homosexual Always Been in the Bible? Mr. Oxford argued that the idea behind our English word, homosexual, was not always in the Bible, and that the church has made a grave mistake when they started to convey the idea in their translations. At the time, I had never heard of this author or his writing, but I have since noticed this interview with Oxford popping up elsewhere, and I was fascinated by the fact that he graduated from Talbot School of Theology, a conservative evangelical seminary, the very place where I graduated and where Sean McDowell teaches. So, actually, let me keep reading. Uh, uh, This is an interesting article that was given to me, and I think you'll find this interesting, too. So he goes on. He writes, People may be attracted to reforming the church's interpretation of the Bible's position on same-sex relationships because they have seen its abuse. 
Oftentimes, they refer to the verses used against same-sex relationships as clobber passages. No doubt because Christians use same-sex attraction uh, have been clobbered with these verses by others in the church. But if it's true that same-sex unions are not in God's design, then there is hope for the gay community that God can restore them to a way of life which is better than what they have ever known in their own sexual pursuits. This has happened for many people already, people who would probably never have found wholeness if they were convinced that the Bible validated their same-sex desires. In light of this, I offer a critique of Mr. Oxford's, Oxford's position, not because I want to shut down hope for Christians with same-sex attraction, but because I think Oxford is incorrect, and I want people to find freedom in God's design. Let me uh, stop there. That, this is, I'm still on the first page. It's like four pages here, but I appreciate the way Matthew writes and talks. Uh, he is leaving his emotions out of it. I know in the last program, my emotions got the better of me. I probably should not be recording this right now. I didn't sleep very good last night. I woke up at 2 this morning. I laid in bed for over an hour and a half. I could not get back to sleep, so I got up, came in here and started studying, and now I'm recording, and I'm feeling tired. And usually when you're tired, you get more emotional, but I will do my best to put those emotions in check and simply give the facts and the truths that we find in the Word of God. And I believe Matthew does this. Uh, even though those of you who know me, I, I may not agree with a lot of things the evangelical seminaries teach, but I agree with probably, I, I would probably say 90% of the things they say. I would, we would be in agreement. It's the plan of salvation where we begin to have differences of opinion and other things, but that's that's beside the point. I agree with what they're saying here. The, and the key words, I, the things I key in on here are the term desires, but that's not where he's going. His whole purpose, and he's very concise and does a fantastic job, is ex- showing what they teach and what the Bible teaches. So let me, you know, I may just read this whole thing. Let me read the next uh, paragraph. He writes, what you are about to read is a revised version of this critique. After publishing the original version, I was contacted by Oxford, who graciously invited me to join him in a dialogue where I could gain a more accurate understanding of his, of his position. Knowing how tense these conversations can be, I wasn't sure what to expect. But it turned out to be a delightful experience for both of us. I valued the opportunity to hear directly from Oxford, and he likewise appreciated my willingness to listen. Although the crux of my position has not changed, I now have a better understanding of what Mr. Oxford believes and the rationale behind his approach. Those who believe that same-sex relationships are not prohibited in Scripture often mention how there is a cultural context in biblical times where men would have sex with young boys. They may contend that this type of Pedestry, I guess that's the way you say it, is pedophilia, is what Paul had in mind when he condemned these male-to-male relationships. In this interview, Oxford defended the idea that this view was prominent in European church history as evidenced by their translation of 
the Greek word used for homosexuality. Um, let me actually pull that up. Um, oh, man, let me see if I can say this Greek word. Arsenokoites is the Greek term. That's the one where we say this is me talking, not his paper. That's the one where we find in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Um, also, I think that's uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Where is that at in chapter 1? Uh, verse 10, where he's immoral men and homosexuals over in uh, 1 Corinthians. That's where he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Um, that's this Greek word. So this Oxford, and I want to go back to uh, Matthew's writing here. Uh, it's, he says that this is something along the lines of boy molester rather than homosexual or those who practice homosexuality. Likewise, Mr. Oxford came to believe that the prohibitions of same-sex relationships in Leviticus 18.22 and 20.13 were once translated with the same kind or in the same kind of way. Hence, his point was made. The concept of homosexual as we know it today was not always in the Bible. Or at the very least, the concept wasn't always in those passages of certain translations in the Bible. This would assume that we can glean the meaning of a compound word such as he gives a German word here by combining boy with molester. Um, he gives, goes into that. So he goes on. Having spoken with Oxford myself, I learned that he actually doesn't believe pedestry is the best way to think about these passages. Whatever the case, many of his beliefs to reform the Bible's translation of these clobber passages for allowing same-sex marriage still come from his findings from Old translations and lexicons. That is, that's dictionaries specific to the vocabulary of something such as the Bible. I find this approach to be problematic. Most biblical scholars don't search out the meaning of biblical words by browsing old lexicons and translations, at least not as a primary approach. One reason is that words change over time. This is the important part I want you to hear. This is why I'm reading this. Because it I bet you that this kind of reasoning and thinking is becoming prominent. I don't know how many people are, are taking this on, but I, I agree completely with what he says here. Most biblical scholars don't search out the meaning of biblical words by browsing old lexicons and translations, at least not as a primary approach. One reason is that words change over time. If you look up the word incredible in Webster's 1820 dictionary, you will see that it means something which cannot be believed. Today, we use incredible to express our amazement of something we believe to be true. Another example, more relevant, if you look up the word boy in the online English etymology dictionary, it will tell you that the word's older usage was, someth was sometimes given without reference to any age. So here's, I want to pause reading his uh, stuff here for a moment, but isn't that interesting? And that, that is true. That's one of my hangups with using the King James Bible. I have no problem with anyone who wants to use the King James Bible, but it is an antiquated translation. And the reason why, 
the words they use to translate some things mean things totally different in 1611 than it does today. So when you use that, not only do you have to go from the New Testament time meaning to the 1611, then you got to bridge the gap from 1611 to present day. Because words change, don't they? If I say gay, everyone thinks homosexual today. But that's not the way it always was. It didn't always, it, that changed. Words change. So thinking, well, I want to go with the lexicons from an older time period of how they translated uh, words to use that, in my understanding, of Koine Greek words is ridiculous. That is not what it says. And as you, as you uh, go on, uh, should I keep reading this? No, I'm, I think I want to stop there. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead. I'll give you his name again. His name is Matthew Tingbald. So you know how to spell Matthew. His last name is T-I-N-G-B-L-A-D. And he has this uh, uh, concise little uh, write-up here. I think it's pretty good. If you're able to find it online, I'm not sure. But he goes on. He, he has great approaches. But he also brings up how Mr. Oxford never deals with uh, Romans chapter 1, which is what we were talking about yesterday. Now there, you don't see the word homosexual, but he does say this, verse 26 of Romans chapter 1, For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Men with other men. He could have used, Paul could have used a different Greek word for boy or young boy. There's, there's, Three different ones, but they're very completely different from the uh, arson word, Greek term he used. Men with men. That's what he's talking about. That's also what's being talked about over in Leviticus 18. Um, where is it at? Uh, 18, where? Okay, yeah, here it is. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Also, and he goes on about, you don't lie with animals as well. That's an, You can't do that. It's an abomination. Don't do that. First uh, Timothy chapter 1. And uh, let me go into context. But we know, this is chapter 1 verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, healthy teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is speaking of the same thing. This is what those people were, but they no longer are. 
those things. He talks about they were homosexuals. They were effeminate. They weren't, they're not those, they're not those things anymore. Effeminate is a man who acts feminine, like a girl. Okay? Or a homosexual, men with men. And we already know from uh, Romans, women with women. That's an abomination. Don't do it. But the key is, what are they doing with, with these articles that they're char- or in blog posts and interviews trying to re or change the translation of the Bible? Because they want the Bible to conform with their desire, with their way of thinking. This is their desire. It's what they want. They want validity in their passion, in their sin. You know, going back to the King James, you know why there is a King James Bible? King James split from the Catholic Church. King James wanted to divorce his wife and chop their heads off. You know, he did a lot of bad things. So I always find it humorous when people who tell me that you should only use the King James Version. I ask them why. It's the authorized version. Do they realize who authorized that version? (laughs) King James. He was an evil, immoral man. (laughs) I'm not saying the King James is a bad translation. It was a great thing, especially in that day and age, for people to have. And it took them a while to, to work out all the errors that came into that translation. They messed up. But they did a good job. They did a great job. It was a great thing to have. But it was written in 1611. And the lot of the words, and we're not going to spend our time working on that, but my, my point is, things, things do change. If you want to know what the Bible says, if you, I mean, if you don't want to trust anyone whatsoever, no preachers, no nobody, then yeah, you need to learn Kone Greek. You got to learn it. And you, there is ample access to the scanned copies of all the manuscripts of Koine Greek we have in the Bible. And there are tens of thousands of them. We have a plethora of this information out there for you to look and study. I'm not a Greek scholar. I know a little bit of Greek, just enough to to be able to do some research. But I know that the Bibles that we use today are accurate and true. They're truth. I love. I like to use the New American Standard Bible. The NIV is okay if you want to use that. You can find truth with that if you're going to study. God's going to, through his providence, ensure that we have access to that truth. God does not want us to sin. He does not want us engaging in sin, anything that is going to cut off that relationship. He loves us. He agapes all mankind. That's why he sent us his son. Over there in John chapter 3, um, verse 16, that's that verse we all know so well. I re- we read it all the time. For God, for God so loved the world, that's agape, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him 
shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's it, people. That's it. Oh, you're judging me. No, I'm not. You're judging yourself by not believing. We know in ourselves. We know. We know what the truth is. I do not try to suppress people with whom I disagree. Suppress in the way that making them shut up and never teach that to anyone and throw them in jail so that they don't teach anyone that. Now, if I'm here at North Valley and I'm teaching class and somebody makes a comment and they start trying to contradict the Bible, I'm going to shut them down. Yeah, because I'm the teacher. (laughs) That's not the way. If they want to have that conversation, we can do it one-on-one on on our own. They want to go start their own church, (laughs) whatever. But they're not going to bring false teaching in here. I'm not going to allow them to do that. I'm not going to allow them to disrupt But I'm talking about those who shut down people. They suppress the truth because they don't want to hear it. It's like what's going on in our country right now where they want, you can't say this, teach that in school. You can't do this here. You can't do that here, there, or wherever. You can't bring God up. Shut up kind of idea. You you ought to be arrested. And some people are maybe saying, well, isn't that what we're trying to do with uh, trying to stop CRT? No, no. see, parents have those uh, rights. What they should be teaching in school is how to think. That's it. That's their job. Their job is to teach kids how to think and reason. They're not doing that. They're indoctrinating. There is a difference. But that's a whole other topic. We should make a program for just that. Does God love the transgender and the homosexual? Yes and no. Yes, he does love the person, and he hates the sin. He agapes them. The mere fact that they are still alive proves that he agapes them, even though they are trying to distort the word of God and continue in their sin. He's giving them opportunity to hear and know truth and to come to that truth. Um, I think, let me open up Matthew's end here. I like the way he ends this. At the very end, this is how he he, he, uh, closes out his article. I do respect Mr. Oxford for his gracious attitude and his courage going against the grain of the evangelical church on an issue that we all can agree is important to discuss. Sometimes the church needs correction, and it takes boldness for that to happen. In this case, however, I believe that Oxford's attempt at recasting the translation of homosexual, more accurately homosexual behavior, is misguided. By God's grace, we will find a better way to help our dear brothers and sisters in the church with same-sex attraction to find life in the truth of God's word. He's right. That is the most gentle, kind way I've ever heard it put. But he's, he's absolutely right. 
You have been set free. It was for freedom that we have been set free. That is Galatians chapter chapter 5. Yeah, chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. He's talking about going, leaving the, the things of Christ and the truth. You want to know true freedom? Step into the light. At the very end of John, or toward the end of John 3, where Jesus is speaking there, John 3, 16, I'll lay down verse 21, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. God loves the homosexual and the transgender. We ought to also. I hate the sin. I hate what it's doing to them. I hate how it's warping their ability to think and reason. But I'm trying to work with them where they're at. Do I have frustrations there? Yes, especially when they try to force that on my children without my input. That infuriates me. Infuriates me. How dare they? Because they don't want me teaching my kids. They want to do it. I see that as being evil. Evil. Leave my kids alone. I'm going to raise them. If you want to raise your children in a different way, that's up to you. You leave my kids alone. I do love them. I agape them. But I do not phileo them. But I do want them to come to the truth. There is freedom. And I hope they're willing to sit down and talk with me and reason with the scriptures. If they're not, then we're at an impasse. We're going to continue this, this discussion uh, next week. We're running out of time. I, I hope this is getting you to think about these things, uh, that it, it, it sparks it in your mind. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. And, of course, as always, redeem the time. Sitting up to sweep away till she'll done the better day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com.